Alright, so thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this morning and like Jeff said in the announcements there, next Sunday we're going to step out in, uh, in faith here and try two service times, the, the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock and so um, we'll uh, make sure you don't show up at 10 o'clock or I guess you'll go to the 11 o'clock if that is the case. So uh, anyways, we're, we're just trusting that God's going to bless and uh, grow us as we go here. So I do, um, we're going to talk through different, some of the ramifications, some of the logistics and details as it relates to um, to those services. But I do get a hunch that the second service is going to be maybe better. I think the jokes will be more refined by the second service than uh, the first service. So um, you might want to think about that. But uh, no, just joking. I've got a handout here so, um, so you can jot down some notes this morning. We won't have a, a PowerPoint, but um, we'll just do, um, we'll just have notes there. So anyways, let's pray. We'll jump into Mark uh, chapter 9. Here we go. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day. This this is a day that you've made and uh, we are rejoicing in it, Lord. And God, we just commit this time to you as we um, open up the scriptures. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your words, to your thoughts, to something you would have for us this morning. God, I do pray that as we're exposed to your word, um, that you would affect our thinking, change our thinking, change what's going on in our hearts, change our um, our choices, our habits, our character because of uh, what you teach us here this morning. God, I pray each one of us would hear from you in a very personal way. And we just commit this, this time to you for that. We ask for this uh, in the gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, well we'll uh, jump in here to Mark chapter 9. Really this morning we're going to look at... Um, just two, two facets of this chapter. We're going to try to divide all that we look at this morning really into to two categories of areas that we can probably all grow in. The first one we're going to look at here just relates to um, how we might be able to grow in character in some areas here. And we're going to start with the, the transfiguration. So um, I think if you've got a house Bible, page number is probably, I'm thinking it's 999. Is that right? 1,000. All right, so close. Uh, I thought it would be cool to have chapter 9 and 999, but it did not happen. Um, but we'll read wherever you find this chapter. So we'll go just uh, 1 through, I think 13 is where the passage ends here. So let's just read together. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some are, who are standing here will not taste death before the kingdom of God uh, before they see the kingdom of God come with power after six days Jesus took Peter James and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone there he was transfigured before them his clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with him except Jesus. 
as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. So we'll stop right there and um, look at some things. There's uh, probably just so many things we could pull out of here, but there's some, as I was praying, that God would just maybe speak to my heart on some things that we as a church might hear from Him on. Um, Again, I feel like it came into two different categories here. The first one we're going to talk about are things that relate to growing in our character. You know, it's the spring season here. One of the things that happens in spring is um, something that happens in spring. Anyone? Anyone? Allergies. Allergies, yes. Allergies and snow and what else? Well, there's no snow, but... uh, What's that? Flowers. Flowers. Potentially snow, maybe next month. Um, But anyway, spring in general is known for new growth, for new life. Colorado is known for unpredictable weather, allergies this season. But there is some new life popping up out there. I think we've got new weeds growing out in our walkway here on the side. We've got new grass trying to grow. But I do wonder if God has a new growth He wants to bring about in each one of our lives here. And um, hopefully there's something that He might speak to you related to that here. Um, The first thing we're going to look at in this um, passage is just... um, Well, it's interesting. It starts off, Jesus is speaking to him, and he says, Some of you standing here will not taste of death before you see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, this is something that, uh, if you've ever debated someone on Christianity, just whether it's in in a classroom or in your workplace or something, this is a contradiction they throw at you all the time. Right there it says in the Bible, some of the people would never die, and they died, and Jesus hadn't come back, and see, the Bible's not true. Just, you know, throw it out. Have you ever heard anyone use that argument before? I have. I hope you have. If you haven't, you'll be ready for it. But but the point is, um, sometimes when you're looking for contradictions, if that's what you're looking for, I mean, this is this is one I've heard used a number of times. It just says they're not supposed to die, and then they die. He hasn't come back. Can you trust the Bible at all? But one of the, maybe the interesting things here to, to think about is every time this transfiguration situation happens, it's always preceded by this very same verse. Some of you standing here are going to taste of the kingdom of God before you die. And then always it's followed by, there's three times it occurs in the gospel, but each time, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's followed by, and then X number of days later, they went up on the mount, they saw Jesus transfigured, and to me it's very straightforward. The, the confusing thing might be sometimes that this, this one is contained, verse 1 and verse 2, it goes on with the story. Other gospels, it's like the last verse of one chapter, and then it starts a new, I think a new passage with, with the transfiguration. So people are like, see it says, right there they're going to die and they disconnect it with 
you know, the context. And I just think one of the things when we're facing Bible contradictions, 90-something percent of all apparent Bible contradictions, I believe, resolve after uh, an honest look in the context. Not trying to prove the Bible wrong, but just trying to look at it as if, um, like it claims, it is true and it's the Word of God. And um, that's just something to think about. There's so many. There's a number of them just in this one uh, passage here. One of them, I like how it talks about the... Says his clothes were dazzling white. Another place it says, you know, they're whiter than uh, anyone in the world could bleach them. One Bible com- contradiction people throw at you during the Easter season is when you're looking at the description of the resurrection. They talk about the angels that were sitting at the tomb. One of them says one was dressed in white. The other one says the angel was radiant. They say, there you go. It's a, con- a contradiction right there. That's white and that's radiant. And I'm just going, really? I mean, I think if we were to see one, any one of these scenes, like the transfiguration, and Jesus said, okay, you're going to witness this, write down what you just saw. I think there'd be a lot of ways that we would describe that same happening and, and none of them being contradictory. Unless, of course, you lied on what you saw. Um, but some would say radiant white. Some would say bleached whiter than whatever. Some would say shiny. I don't know. But this is not a contradiction unless if you're looking for that, that's probably what you'll find. But just a couple of verses on this as it relates to Well, how does that relate to character? Two, uh, two verses just to think about here. Proverbs 11.27 says this, He who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. You know, I come away with that going, if you're looking for good, you're going to find good, according to God. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. If you're looking for evil, you'll find it, you know, no matter what you have to do, no matter what you have to twist to make something look wrong, like the Bible. Um, another verse that says this about the Bereans. Some of you might know this verse, um, Acts 17.11. It says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than uh, the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. It says the Bereans had better character than that of the Thessalonians. Why? Because they... I think sometimes we can miss this. I remember uh, as a young Christian, I shared with another brother, boy, you know, I just really like how you question things. It's kind of like the Bereans. And he spent many years in a pattern of skepticism and questioning that I tried to help him out of for a long time. But some of it came because I encouraged him in his questioning. That's not what it says here. You know, it says the Bereans were a better character because they, they received the message with great eagerness. Paul preached it, they received it. I'm taking this as the Word of God. And then it says they examined the Scriptures. Why? To prove what Paul said wrong? No. I'm taking this message as it's from God, and I'm going to prove it right in the Scriptures. I want to validate this message. Very different character than someone who's looking for trouble. Someone who's looking for a contradiction. Sometimes we can think it's good to be skeptical. I'm the skeptic that you have to prove things right to. Well, the Scriptures would say that that is not good character. That's not noble character. The Bereans received it with eagerness. And they searched to prove it true. Is that how you are with the Scriptures? You know, I think of in, in the court of law, what do they say? You know, you're presumed, well, you're innocent until proven guilty. Sometimes with the scriptures, it's kind of like we, prove, we say guilty until you prove the whole thing innocent. Or sometimes we're like that with people. We can just kind of go, you know, I think you're, I think something's wrong with you until time and time again you prove to me that you're a good person. You know, that's not good character. And we have to watch out for that. But anyways, just, uh, just one point related to character there. Um, Another thing to think about as it relates to character is that verse 2 here just says, um, 
After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John with him. Um, here's a question for you. Does, did Jesus play favorites with his love? Did Jesus play favorites with who he showed love to? Anyone? Yes? No? Maybe so? Trick question? Yes? No? Did he play favorites? Well, why didn't he take the other ones? He just took Peter, James, and John. Sounds like favorites to me. Anyone? It's God's will. It's God's will to play favorites. No. <laughs> No, but I mean the, the point is um, I think sometimes people say God plays favorites right there. He chose 12. Why didn't He choose everybody? He chose out of the 12, He chose three to take on the mountain. That doesn't seem fair. Did He really love Philip? He didn't take him with. Did He really love, you know, Simon the Zealot? Well, if He did, He would have taken them up the mountain. Who would want to miss a mountaintop experience? But the Scripture also says, on the other hand, we see Scripture says very clearly God does not show favoritism. Uh, Romans chapter 2 it says that we use that in the outreach class um, God, God doesn't play favorites He doesn't show His love you know oh you're, you're from this background you're rich or you're poor or you're from this ethnic background or this culture and I show you more love because of that you deserve it because you've had a hard life and I'm harder on these people because they, you know, they deserve it to be harder no God doesn't play favorites James chapter 2 God does not play favoritism again it says to us do not Show personal favoritism. The context was, he said, or you're violating, love your neighbor as yourself when you play favorites. So, so how do these coexist? And I think, you know, Alan was on to the, the idea there is that um, the, he didn't pick these guys because he loved them more than the other ones, but there were some things that uh, I think he was taking these disciples on a character development training thing. God has a plan for each one of us, and that plan is according to His will. And He can have this plan for one person and He can have this plan for another. And Scriptures are very clear. God can do whatever He wants with any one of us because He's the one that gave us existence anyways. And, um, but, you know, what, what became of Peter and James and John? What, what was God's use for them? We know they were instrumental in the, the New Testament church, the foundation of the first century church there. Peter was one that became the spokesperson of the church early on. Um, James was the first one martyred. He was the first one killed because he would not recant his faith in Jesus Christ. John went on. They eventually tried to martyr him. He went on to pastor in Ephesus and then went on to be boiled in hot boiling oil and he didn't die from that. He got exiled and then he eventually wrote like the book of Revelation. God has quite a plan for him, but... Some would say that he, he took them up there because he wanted to, to grow them. He had a responsibility, he had a plan for their lives, um, that he wanted to help them out. And was he playing favorites? I don't think so. I think he loved everyone the same. He showed his same love and um, kindness and generosity to everyone. But he had a plan unique for those three that he was in the training process. You know, sometimes we can go, well, I'm not one of God's favorites. My last name is not Whitney, or my last name is not, so I don't know if God's going to be able to use me. Well... You know, that's not the way God sees it. God, God has a plan for each one of us that's related to His sovereign will. And yet at the same time, um, God has made it clear there's, there's certain people He won't use. He said He does not use unclean vessels. And uh, there's certain, some, some degree it's His deal. Other degree He says, you know what, uh, He gives grace to the humble. You want to be a part of God's gracious and awesome plan? How are you doing at being humble lately? Um, how's your character doing? There are certain things God says I won't use people like this, but it's not a love thing. Um, it's a character. He had a responsibility He wanted them to carry out, and He was cultivating their character. Um, let's see here. 
So another thing to think about as it relates to our character, you know, and I'm going to skip ahead to part of the other section here. So they came down from the mountain, they healed this guy, but shortly after this it says, I'm going to just read ahead to verse uh, 33 here. They came to Capernaum um, when he was in the house, and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet on the, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child, had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to him, Whoever welcomes one of these little children, in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. But you know, as we're talking about character and things here, um, these disciples were an ongoing character training sort of deal here. And um, I just... I sometimes I just scratch my head and going, really? I mean, it'd be like having your small group. Think about your small group, and for your icebreaker next week, it's going to be figure out who is the greatest on your small group, and come away and just make sure everyone agrees with that. Who's the greatest on your small group, and and make sure it's not like you know everyone's in favor of one. Make a good argument, a good case for why you are the greatest on your small group. Um, it's kind of what they were doing, you know. It just seems a little bit ridiculous. Now, I think maybe the disciples were a little more. Uh, open with what was on their hearts. I think nowadays we don't we don't have that argument. I don't think. I mean, maybe in a household level you might fight about that. But uh, most of us inside our hearts, I think we have a conversation like that going on on occasion. We go, well, you know, they're the leader, but I know I'm better than them. Or they're my pastor, but ah, oh, geez, I'm just obeying the scriptures when I follow them. Um, and, and sometimes in our heart we can have this dialogue that we're better than others. And Jesus said, hey, you know. This is something he said throughout Mark. You know, Mark is, is, expresses the perfect servant of God, but he has this thread of dialogue going all throughout Mark about, you want to know how to be great? You know, what does he point it back to again? He points it back to um, verse 35. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. How are you doing in serving lately? How, how are you as a servant? We started the whole book of Mark off asking questions about how, how is your serving going um, the first will be last you know one way that's a good way to tell how, how you're doing at serving one of the best ways to tell is when you're about to eat a meal and there's a line that forms what, who's the most humble person there where do you get in the line the front of the line no you know the answer to this the back of the line, right? If you're truly humble, you get to the back of the line, right? Because that is the ultimate litmus test for humility. Where do you stand in line, right? You know, you could just be like, you already ate, you're not hungry, you're just standing at the back of the line, but you're probably humble if you're at the back of the line, right? Somehow we think in our minds that that's, that's the way you figure it out, where you're standing in line, you know? And we're not really thinking about it. If you're thinking that way, um, you're probably missing out the fact that Someone who's humble will probably help set up everything in the line that you're going to go through. Probably someone who's last in the line is because they are they were busy doing other things. Probably the most humble person in the line is the person that's who's cleaning up the mess after everyone goes through the line. But uh, it's the greatest will be the greatest servant. And I think sometimes we, we know that in our heads, but in our hearts I think we miss it. You know, there's going to be a time where God is somehow going to evaluate us. I don't know if He's going to rank us in heaven, you know, are you in the top 95 percentile of servants? But at some point He's going to be able to look at a room full of people like this and say, you know who the greatest person is in this room? It's someone who you might have least expected. It's, it's that mom over there. It's that 
single woman who's always serving before, after, during the meetings that you go to and get in the front of the line. He's going to have a different perspective. And someday he's going to go, but the greatest person in this room, he didn't say, hey, that's stupid to think about it. That's just a silly dialogue. I can't believe you're arguing with it. Every time they brought it up, he said, here's how you're going to define who that person will be. Who's serving? Who's the slave of everyone in this room? Uh, You know, and unfortunately, that might not be a pastor. It might not even be a small group leader. Whoever it is who's got that heart to serve for the sake of Jesus Christ, um, that's who he's going to honor when we get to heaven. You know, it talks about these uh, Moses and Elijah were radiant. Uh, Daniel talks about when you get to heaven, there's going to be some people that shine like the, the sun, uh, the stars in the heaven and the sun in the sky. There's going to be a glory related to your character. Um, and so we want to be thinking about that because if you're not thinking about that, I, I think you're going to miss growing and cultivating that heart, being deliberate about servant's heart. How are you doing in serving lately? We're going to have more and more opportunities to serve as we multiply this service. Another way to go, you know, how are you doing in servant's heart? How are you doing in humility? Um, here's a question you can ask is, do, uh, do you find yourself, it's a trick question maybe, I'll give you a heads up on that, so don't, don't answer quickly on this one, but do you find yourself seeking forgiveness from others often? Do you find yourself seeking forgiveness from others often? Let's have the humble people say yes. Yes? Yes, of course you do. No, no, I don't want to fall into that trap because that means I'm probably doing something wrong a lot. Um, No, I don't find myself thinking, well, there's another trap there too. Do you find yourself seeking forgiveness from others often? It's a trick question. If you find yourself saying, yes, you know I'm in the habit of seeking forgiveness. I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know some of that fault is probably me. That's great. That can reflect some humility. At the same time, it might reflect an area for character growth. Whatever it is you're seeking forgiveness in over and over again, you might want to target for growth. Um, Yet on the other side, if you find yourself, no, you know, it's a two-way relationship. They seek forgiveness and I grant it. Um, You know, that's the way it works around here. Um, About time they seek it again and yes, I'll grant it if they get around to that. It's a very loving two-way relationship. Sometimes we think like that. Sometimes we think someone else should seek forgiveness and my job is to determine whether or not I grant it. Um, You know know what you call that? That's just pride. That's just probably thinking someone else is always at fault. Of course they should be seeking forgiveness because it's me they're dealing with, right? Um, and, you know, there's either two options there. Either really you are perfect and you've got the hang of certain things and you're just dealing with, dealing with all these sinners and figuring out how to cope in this life or, or you're wrong, you know, and uh, there's pride going on. You just don't see it. I, I jokingly, there's a couple girls that were walking in this morning to set up and I just hear blurted out of it, um, we're always right. We are right. And someone asked, well, well, why are you always right? And I just walked into the conversation. If you ever have that, you know, you kind of catch it out of context. And I got a thought for you on that. You know, you know why, why is someone always right? Two reasons. I mean, either they're really right or they just kind of have a strange view of reality. They kind of, they always seem right. Something like that. But, um, but you got to watch out for that in relationships. Are you seeking forgiveness? If you're not, you probably should be. And if you are, you probably should 
soft, you know. I mean, not because you don't want to admit you're wrong again, but because you're changing and growing in a character area. Um, so we got to watch for that. How's your humility? How's your pride, seeking forgiveness, servants' hearts? Um, another quick one we have to watch for is um, as they're continuing on their, their journey here after they come down the mountain. You know, I think about that. They're, they're probably arguing at some point. you got to know that Peter, James, and John were like, who's the greatest here? Well, I just had this mountaintop experience. I'd tell you about it, but Jesus told me not to tell anyone else about this experience that I just had. You know, sometimes we could, and I wonder if they pulled that. They're like, no, we didn't tell anybody, but we just told them that they weren't included in what we were to not tell anybody. Um, well, I don't know, we have to watch out for that. But then they came on and John asked the question. Here, John, the disciple Jesus loved, you know, he's got to be pretty sharp. He's in the top three here. Uh, and he says this, Teacher, John said, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Um, do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, whoever gives anyone a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. But John made another error that we can make. He was judging others. He was judging someone from another church. He was judging someone from another ministry. Hey, look, we're the original 12. Uh, I don't know what you're doing doing miracles over there, but you're not one of us, so stop. You know, can we be like that sometimes? I know uh, when I first became a Christian, I, was, I, I still feel blessed to be a part of Great Commission churches, to be a part of people that have a certain way of life. They're trying to lay down their lives to fulfill the Great Commission and carry out the, and live out the Great Commandment. And I just was, I, I am still blessed to be a part of that. I think, you know, God could have had me get saved through Campus Crusade for Christ or through the Navigators or through some Billy Graham thing. But he had it worked out that I would hear the gospel through someone who was a part of the Great Commission churches. And I am so blessed and I'm so thankful. But I know when I first started following Christ, I definitely had that attitude of like, you're either with the Great Commission or you're one of them, you know. And uh, obviously Jesus is with this bunch and, and you, unless you join us, you're in sin. And we got to watch out for that. We can judge others if they're not with us. I mean, I think there's two errors you can make. One, we can judge others because they're not with us. They're not Great Commission DNA. The other error you can make is that I've, I've bumped into people before. They're like, I just love the body of Christ. The whole body of Christ. From that first century church till Christ returns, I love them all. And I don't go anywhere regularly and I don't serve and I don't lay down my life, but I love the whole body of Christ. Um, you know, someone like that, they, they don't get it either. That you're not supposed to judge, and we've got to watch out for that. But you, you are supposed to plug in. You are supposed to lay down your life somewhere. You can't be, you know, like the old saying, the jack of all trades and a master of none or whatever. You can be like, I love all churches and I just don't serve anywhere because, you know, the body of Christ is so big. It would be so limiting to serve one place. Um, you've got to watch out for that. Um, some errors to avoid. You know, the last one here, just to think about in these errors to avoid, he goes on to talk about sin. He says this, um, uh, verse 42, if anyone causes these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown in the sea in a large millstone tied around his neck. Oh, every time I hear that verse, I think of, I think of professors, I think of instructors that tell people, you know, I don't know what your parents taught you, but here's the reality. And I just think there's going to be some people that when they look back on how they caused Christians to stumble coming into college, coming into high school, there's going to be some people that... It's going to be dreadful when the reality hits them of what they've done. Um, and those are the people we've got to reach. He goes on to say, um, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to you to enter life maimed than with two hands 
and go to hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, you want to grow in character, men and women? We need to get serious about overcoming sin. Do you think Jesus was joking around? You know, uh, now we have to be careful. Literally, I don't know if he was saying, cut off your hand, cut off your foot. It seemed like all the disciples, as dumb as they did certain things, they still had their hands, feet, eyes intact. But, um, but I think the point was, you need to get serious about sin. If you want to overcome or change in some sin area, how serious are you about it? Because he was saying, I mean, maybe there's some people that did say, you know what Jesus said to do it? And I've got my hand lopped off because it was causing me to sin. But the point there, um, I don't think he was talking literally so much as get serious about overcoming sin. But do you need to make some choices like that in your life? Are there some things you need to get serious about? I think of a great example we have in the church here. There's a number of examples. I know people that do certain things, that don't do certain things, that have changed jobs, that have done things because of sin it was leading to. But I think of a man I dearly respect in this church, one of my co-pastors, Brad, here. You know, Brad had a, a history of a, a family history related to alcohol problems. Alcoholism went back I don't know how many generations. And, you know, in college, like most everybody, we have freedom in Christ. I'm saved, I've got freedom in Christ, I drink a little too much, it's okay, I'm forgiven, I'll do communion and get, you know, forgiven again and go through that. But uh, Brad eventually got to a point where he was saying, you know what, this drinking alcohol is not bearing good fruit in my life. And uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop drinking altogether. And Brad made a choice. Cut off alcohol in his life. And I respect that, and each one of us has got our areas to think about. But have you got something in your life that's about time you get serious to cut it off, to get rid of it? Sexual sin, sin going on inside your heart, sin going on who knows where. You want to follow Jesus. He is very serious about getting rid of sin, about growing in our character. And, and that was something Brad felt like he needed to get rid of. But what about you? What about me? We've got to think through. What are those areas? so easy to be like, oh, it's grace covers everything. Jesus is, you know, not that big a deal. It's, it's forgiven. Well, I don't get that out of this passage. And I surely don't think you do either. And we've got to get serious here if we're going to grow in character and become like our Savior here. He closes off, uh, you know, one section, I think, on character. And this is at the very end of this whole chapter. It's the only one place that there's a real, uh, I mean, I think an out-and-out command here. He says, be at peace with each other. Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with each other. How are you doing relationally? Are you keeping at peace with other people? Romans talks about uh, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Are you living at peace with others? Are you waiting for them to come make peace with you? The final authority of who should have peace and who shouldn't have it. And we need to be working and having peace with others. That's a, that's a character thing. It's a humility thing. It's blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes we can keep peace. We go, ah, I'm afraid of conflict. I never engage. Let's just keep the peace. A peacemaker is one that goes, there's a non-peaceful situation I work to reconcile, that I work to bring the peace of God to a broken situation. God blesses that. That's a thing of good character. Um, we're going to close with things on the second part here. Let's read this passage together. Um, related to, I think, some things that relate to our faith. Um, and being men and women. So, you know, we will. We'll just keep going here. Um, so, verse 14. 14 through... Uh, 
What does this go to here? 14 down to about mm, 27. Okay. Um, when they came to the other disciples, this is they're coming down off the mountain, the transfiguration, the whole scenario there. Um, they came to the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought, my, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire, or in, into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Uh, after he had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This, can, this kind can only come, come out by prayer. This kind can come out only by prayer. Just a few things here related to our faith. I don't know, our, our, some ways uh, we think about our character, we think about are you being faithful with all these different things in your life, and, and some of you might be, you know, that might be your wiring. You're just a faithful person. You just, um, but sometimes being faithful and consistent with certain things, certain habits in our life conflicts with being faith-filled. You know, in some ways we can fall into a trap of being like a good Mormon. A Mormon does the best they can. They live by principles. They live by a budget. They live by everything. And at the end of the day, they're very faithful. And maybe they do a lot of good things, a lot of kind things, whatever. But, but they're different than a Christian in that we apply faith to the, the one true God. And we see Him answer prayers, things that could not happen naturally by faithfulness and organization. And if you tend towards faithfulness... You've got to ask, are you being faith-filled? Are you doing something outside of what would normally naturally occur by sheer faithfulness? This, like he said here, there's some things that can only happen by prayer, by faith-filled prayer. And so, now there can be the other error we make. Sometimes I feel like I make the other error. I go, I want to have faith. I want to do something big. I want to be used by God to do something cool on campus. Or, and then I can miss some of the little things. Um, you know, I feel like one of the lessons I learned related to this whole interfaith forum on campus. I got invited to be a part of it. Uh, the Muslim students were sponsoring it. It was going to be in the biggest, uh, the biggest room, auditorium there in the Tivoli Center. And I was just thinking, oh man, this is going to be awesome. They've invited me to represent Christianity. I'm imagining, you know, the room is full of people. And there's, uh, I don't know, Christians with those fog horns getting ready to cheer me on and things like that. And, um, 
you know, when I got there and I told you how it played out, there was another pastor that also got invited. And um, one student uh, invited me from the Muslim Student Association. One invited him. And we both got there. He had a name tag. I let him roll. Um, I could have put up a fight. But, you know, one of the things I asked is, God, why? Why this? This is not playing out like I expected it. What's the lesson? Maybe the material that I was going to share was just really not going to help anybody out. And he spared me the embarrassment, spared himself the embarrassment. After I heard the guy share, I go, you know, I had some good stuff to say. I don't think that was the problem. So I go, God, what was the deal? And eventually I think he clarified it to me. You know, the girl had uh, invited me to be a part of it. She texted me once and said, hey, are you interested? And I said, yeah, I'm interested. Why don't you send me an email back? She sent me an email about a week later, gave me more information. Well, I got her email, and then I went on a trip uh, over the weekend to Omaha, things like that. By the time I got back, it was about a week later when I responded to her. Then about a week later, she responded to me and the thing that I had responded to her. And eventually it got so close to time, we were trying to figure out at the time and the day and everything was going to work. And she just was like, well, I don't know if it's going to happen. So someone else said, let's just go with this guy. To me, the lesson was, Rich, you want to be faithful with big things. You want to make a stand for Jesus Christ on the campus of Auraria. 50,000 students go there. And the Rich, will you be faithful with the little things? And, and that, was, that was my lesson to growing in character. And I was ready with faith to step into the, the lion's den with the Muslim Student Association. But God was like, you know, if you're faithful with little things, then, then you'll be faithful with the big things. And that was something God is helping me not to overlook what I would call little things for something big. And we each have them. What's a little thing in your life? Maybe you've got little things you think is a little deal. God thinks it's a big deal. Or maybe you're very consistent with the little things and it's about time to step into something that there's no way it could happen apart from God answering your prayer. And that's what I was going on with this, this situation here, this guy here. Um, it says like this, um, Jesus spoke and he said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Who was Jesus talking to when he said, Oh, unbelieving generation? A couple options here. Some multiple choice questions for you. Rhetorical multiple choice. Um, uh, who was he talking to? Well, he could have been talking to the disciples. The disciples of little faith. I've been trying to teach you how to do the basic things. Kick out demons. Do a healing here and there. And you're just, you're just lacking faith. Oh, you unbelieving generation of disciples. Uh, he could have been talking to the dad. The dad's got his son. Um, oh, I'm believing. So if you just believe what I could do, he'd be healed. Or another option is that he could be talking to you and I. Would, would we qualify for an unbelieving generation more than any of those other people? I mean, the disciples were getting it. They were casting out demons. They were healing. We're not doing any of that. The dad eventually saw a demon kicked out of his child. I don't know if we've seen some of that. Maybe it's most true that we are the unbelieving generation that he was speaking to. Oh, you unbelieving generation. You know, um, me included. At one point he says this in Luke. He says, um, Luke 18, uh, I tell you, we're talking about the persistent widow. She pursued this judge. Eventually the judge answered her request. He was saying, I'll answer your prayer. But then he goes on to say, um, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, I don't think the biggest issue is what faith the disciples were having or that dad had. I think he's going to return. He's going to, is there any faith going on here? Is there any, anyone expecting me to do something beyond what would normally happen? And not just, sometimes we go, um, you know, are you trusting God for something? Uh, 
We all need to be trusting Him for something. I hope you are trusting Him for something right now. But sometimes there's like, I should trust Him for something. And here's a great example of what I should trust Him for. But when you boil it down to what's going on in your heart, I think it comes down to for honest going, help me overcome my own belief. I pretend like I'm trusting you for this. But deep in my, my heart I'm wondering, are you good enough to, to do this for me? Are you gracious enough to answer this prayer? Are you even able to answer a prayer like this today? Uh, it's not about just what we should trust Him for, but what are you really, really trusting Him for? Um, I, I think just, I'm going to close with three faith things to think about here, uh, three things to chew on, but one of them I think about is this dad. This dad thought, you know, Jesus boiled it down to, hey, what about your faith? I can do anything for someone who believes. You know, where are you at? And, and this dad, it almost seemed like he, he put the responsibility of this miracle on the disciples. Well, your disciples couldn't do this. Why can't your disciples do this miraculous thing for me? Or he put it on Jesus. If you can, I don't know, Jesus, if you can do this, why don't you help me? What did Jesus say? It's, it's about you. I can do anything for someone who believes that I can. And the guy immediately was like, all right, it's my deal. I believe, but help me overcome my own belief. And I don't know what you're wrestling with, but make sure you don't think your faith issue is someone else's deal. Boy, if my pastors, if my leaders put me in the right situation, I'd have faith. Uh, if, you know, it's someone else's... Do you believe that Jesus wants to do something for you that wouldn't otherwise happen, that can only happen by prayer? I think He wants us all. As we go into this uh, two services, I think we have to be careful about the idea of... You know, in some ways we can do two services and we can do all the logistics and we figure out 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock and we've got times for you to show up and times for you to leave. But, you know, we could do all of that without faith at all. It could just be a schedule. And we go, you know, I can fall back on the month of May. If it goes terrible and no one shows up, uh, you know, we're just going to go back to one service. I actually liked one service better. It was easier. I'm more comfortable. I don't have to talk to people. Um, but we want to make sure we don't miss the faith step, you know. Do you, do you think, um, I don't know, a couple questions to think about. One is, uh, do you think God can use you to change a life? There's lives He wants to change and transform in this neighborhood, in your neighborhoods. Maybe you've never seen God save someone and radically transform a life using you. Or maybe you've never had the opportunity of baptizing someone that God is working in their heart. Uh, he's used you, but He's working in their heart in ways you're just blown away by. Maybe it's time to have faith that God can use you to do something like that. Maybe it's time to have faith. We think about these character areas to grow in and we go, I know all the verses. I know what I should be doing. And I just, I, geez, help me overcome my own belief or that you can actually change that area that hasn't changed for months and months and years and years. We need to have faith um, to grow here, to, to see God do amazing things. Um, you know, again, this, this guy, he asked Jesus if you're... If you can, could you help my son? You know, I think there's two questions sometimes our faith boils down to. you think God is able? Do you think He really can do something? And then we have the other question to ask. It's like the leper asked in, in Mark chapter 1. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You know, he, his, his thing was, I know you can do this. I know you can do miracles. I know you can do all things. But if you're willing... If you would, if you're, you're willing to help me out, I know you can. This guy was like, the other guy, the dad was like, if you can help, then please do. Um, but, but with us, sometimes our faith comes down to, do you think God is able to do whatever it is you feel like you need? you think He's able to? And maybe you go, I know God theoretically can do anything. The other question might be, do you think He's willing to help you? He knows your life, He knows your sin, He knows your strengths and weaknesses. Is He willing to help you? 
And I think you ought to put that into a prayer and go, God, if you're willing, could you come through in this and see? See if he's willing or not. Just like the leper found out he was willing to help one who was considered the scum of the earth. So, you know, um, anyways, we've got these cards here. Um, the last one just to think of here is, uh, so there's, uh, you know, your faith challenge, your faith trial, not someone else's. God wants to work on your faith. Is he willing? Is he able? The other thing is that um, it's about believing. You know, he says, I do believe. Uh, New Living says, but help me not to doubt. You know, I think God, one of the themes I'm getting out of uh, Mark here is that God is concerned that, that we believe him to do certain things, but he's also concerned about what we don't believe. You know, this one he says, uh, I believe, but help me get rid of this unbelief. Later on in Mark here, we see the fig tree thing where he says, uh, if you believe and you do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, move and it will move. And sometimes I think we, we focus, we get a little short-sighted, on, what do I believe? I believe God, I think you could do this thing here. And, and then we have this gigantic, but I also don't think you could do this. And boy, we got faith, but you know, I think it's like, a, you know, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. I was thinking about a... You know, imagine taking a, a big glass of water, pure water, fresh from a bottled water, I don't know, your favorite bottled water, um, pour it into a glass, and how refreshing is that when it's a hot day, after you pass out flyers for all afternoon, um, it's very refreshing, but imagine that is like your face, and it's this pure, pleasing, refreshing thing, but then imagine this other glass full of salt water, it's from, you know, fresh off the beach in San Diego, nice salty water, nice fresh water, imagine our hearts being like, pour the fresh water in, pour the salty water in, how refreshing would that be if you drank, even if it's 50-50, ocean water and pure fresh water, how, how refreshing would that be? Anyone taste ocean water lately? It's not, it's not that good. Um, a little bit of salt goes a long way. But I think I wonder sometimes about our, our hearts. He wants us to have faith. He wants us to just really believe. And he also speaks to getting rid of the unbelief. You know, our faith is pleasing to him. And our doubts are like, I don't know, adding salt water to something that would otherwise be refreshing. We need to make sure we're getting rid of the doubts, getting honest with them. This guy all he just said was, Okay, I got unbelief here. I, I don't believe you could actually do this. Help me overcome that. And, and what did Jesus do? Well, evidently, Jesus thought there was enough faith to set his child free from a demon. Um, but we need to start by being honest. What are you really in your heart of hearts believing about God? Is He good? Is He gracious? Will He help you out? Um, would He do something for you that would not otherwise happen? by sheer faithfulness and organization. And we just want to be men and women of faith as we step out here and multiply services. I encourage you, even if it relates to these postcards here, you know, every time we, we go to invite somebody, it's a step of faith. We've got friends we've been reaching out to for years uh, over here just down the street. And they've come to a number of different outreach events. They've never come to church. But I know it's time for Morgan and I to get in touch with them and say, would you come to church this, this time? I know we've invited you a hundred times and we're going to invite you yet again because we know hell is real and there's going to be an unquenchable fire and we know heaven is real and we want to see that you get there. But men and women, we need to be stepping out and say maybe passing out five postcards for you, it scares you. Or maybe you go, no one will ever know that I didn't do that. We'll know. We'll find out. Um, you know. we, we, will not, we will not know what God knows. And um, God might want you to step out in faith. You know, the fact that we're having two services 
you, you don't have to express any, any faith at all. You can show up to one or the other. But, but there's an opportunity here to step out in faith and ask God to do something beyond what you've seen Him do before. Something that might not otherwise occur besides your prayer with faith. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do, uh, we do just thank You for what You're doing in our church. Lord, we thank You that uh, God, a year ago at this time, I think there was probably less than 85 people in this room or it's probably a work Sunday. God, swinging a, a paintbrush or pushing a broom or whatever. God, and uh, you have got more than double baths. And um, God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you that you've added people who have gotten saved, whose eternities have changed. You've added people who've gotten baptized and want to follow you more seriously. And God, we just thank you that you're moving. We ask that you would help each one of us. Help us to have faith, to really believe you'd do something that wouldn't otherwise happen. God, help us to have faith in our own lives and our families. Help us to have faith as a church. Um, God, I pray that you'd grow us in our character. Make us more like you. Help us, Lord. You know each, each one of us and where we need to grow. Help us grow in faith um, and trust in you for things beyond the natural. Uh, God, but we thank you that you are in our midst. We thank you that you're leading us. You have good plans for us. We just ask that you would answer these prayers for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for, for coming this morning, you guys. And remember, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock today, we're going to join right here to pass out as many of these as we can. So I hope to see you there. Thanks.